My friends, what lays before you is the myriad knowledge of an unfathomable universe. Join our intrepid remembrancers as they explore the heresy as history. From deep within the farthest reaches of the great library of Tiska, we are the Heresy Grad School. So said the War Master in his wisdom. Go forth, my sons, and illuminate them. Heresy is history, and we do the research so you don't have to. In this episode, we're going to be covering the Battle of Nearcon City, Visions in the Flame. Alright, so this episode features super fast capital ships, dramatic entrances, snakes and serpents, and the fury of the ancients. But before we get really deep into it, gent, let's get things started and let's try and frame this up. So this one was a little weird for me. It felt a little different than some of the others we've done previously. Felt a little more, a uh, little more loyalist aggrandizement going on a bit. Dave, what are you thinking about this one? Well, I mean, up front, I really didn't know anything about Cassian Dracos. My lore on the uh, Salamanders has always been pretty weak. And so I really didn't know what I was getting into. And then I started reading and I was like, well, this seems oddly familiar. And his like little band of merry misfits was kind of strikingly similar to the uh the charybdis yes right uh ulrich branthan yes his little posse which also includes oh gosh oh what's his face the raven guard everybody hates sheer sheer come something sheridan sherikin that's the one Lore is lava champion and who's the crazy guy who fixes everything? Freighter, uh... Thematica. Yes, I love that guy. Right. It's helpful yeah. that whenever Graham McNeil writes a new book, he also touches on every single other heresy book he's ever written. So <laughs> it's like, hey, you guys remember the Shattered Legions? Not really. Well, we're checking in on him. I wonder if he's worried that his legacy will die or something. You never know. I mean, he writes these like enormous 600 page uh, novels. So you think it'd be pretty solid. Yeah. So we've got Cassian Dracos. So what are some other like, are there any other familiar faces, Jason, that are kind of like worth mentioning or, or going? Oh, through? sure. Of course. Cassian Dracos, for those who don't remember, he is the dreadnought of the Salamanders Legion, who he was a former Legion master before he was not really destroyed on uh, Istvan V when the Salamanders, the Iron Hands, and the Raven Guard were ambushed. He actually is in this fun little unique dreadnought casket that was like hand forged by the hammers of Vulcan himself. So when his entire company was wiped out by, I think it was like a lance strike offhandedly, he really just got like glassed beneath the surface. And then uh, this whole little wacky cult of... Uh, you know, disciples of the flame come along with uh, the Salamander's chaplain, uh, Xiphus Jur. And then you've also got a renegade iron warrior, Narek Drager. He's a Pravian, really, for the iron warriors. And you can hear a little bit more about him on that uh, Iron Edition episode that uh, 
Brennan and I just put out for the Iron Warriors a little while ago. So yeah, plenty of fun dudes back from, I think this would be book six, uh, Retribution in the uh, first edition. And uh, we're kind of getting to see like what they've been up to in this little uh, clash between uh, the Salamanders, Disciples of the Flames, and the Alpha Legion. Very cool. So Dave, let's go over to you and figure out when we are. And, yes. and potentially where we are too, like, you know. Well, Pat, the first answer is... We are in the second battle of Nirkon. So just like all good battles that have come before, there was a first battle of Nirkon in uh, 10 M31. We actually have a timestamp for the first battle, which was uh, 7 800. And if you really want to get into the Imperial dating system, you can go back and listen to one of our earlier episodes. Pat, maybe we can that in the show notes or something where we unpack how that imperial dating system works but definitely yeah we're squarely in the second battle of Nirkon, which is 12 m31 which puts us real close to the siege of terra and we are in that most famous of star clusters beta garmin so we are on actually the capital system Garmin 4, I think. I could be wrong about that. It's one of the big ones. But yeah, we're squarely in the beta Garmin system, and this is the traders trying to break through. And there's actually some pretty cool lore that was written before Nearcon and the Battle of Nearcon that came out and well first mentioned just I think in a color plate in book six, and then was really kind of blown open in some of the Adeptus Titanicus expansions. Beta Garmin, I think. Uh, yeah, Titan Death. That's the one. So uh, if you really want to go back and, you know, read some of the extant lore for uh, the Battle of Nirkon, your sources are Adeptus Titanicus, Titan Death. That's when and where we are, Patrick. Very cool. So I guess let's go ahead and start getting into it and... Jason, I don't know if you want to start us off or if, Dave, you want to start breaking into this first, like, lovely little call-out box that we have, very similar to the rest of the Black Books, at least. So Yeah, I'll just touch on the little call-out box, which I thought was, again, sort of reminiscent of some of the Black Books that we've gotten into before on earlier Heresy grad schools. The boys at uh, Forge World really do love their capital ships. Let's just go on record with that. And so the Evan Drake, we should probably mention the Evan Drake as a character in this whole saga, because I think a lot of times these capital ships do become sort of like characters with their own plot arcs. And the Evan Drake is is clearly not an exception. The Evan Drake gets its own call out box in this exemplary battle. And we kind of get some foreshadowing, right? Because the first thing we read is many years later, during the time known as the scouring, the wreck of the Eben Drake was recovered and the data looms were sort of, you know, told the story. And it's like, da, da, da. Where have we heard that before? So many times. Right. I mean, I think that was like sort of the plot intro to uh, when we were talking about the Night Lords. And Jason, help me out here, man. Oh, right. Kyrian Orpheon's flagship, the Shroud of Eventide. Yes. 
and you know many years later was recovered during the scouring so it was like okay getting some flashbacks and some deja vu but no i thought it was cool and i appreciated at least the attention to that little sort of thread that seems to weave in and out of the black books but no i, I will certainly uh turn the gavel over to uh, jason to take us and the listeners through this little wacky battle report oh sure well do my darn just not to come out uh too biased. So let's talk about this business. You've got the Evan Drake. This is three years into the devastating conflict that wrapped the Garmin cluster. So like Dave mentioned earlier, the Garmin cluster, super, super important to the Horus heresy as a whole, because it's kind of that last step in the arteries of the warp transit lanes before you hit the soul system. So this is also kind of the last place in the novel, say Titan Death, was really important for the Loyalists because it was this last stop before the Soul System. It was really the last chance they had to try and slow Horus down and bleed resources out of the traitors before they careened into the Soul System itself. So what's going on here, kind of adjacent to that, uh, sort of like in the same way as our last episode, we talked about some smaller events that were ongoing besides that like that really big, important novel and goings-on in Wolfsbane. This is sort of the same deal. These are in and around very close to the Siege of Terra. And again, in the Beta Garmin system, kind of a big deal. So the Eben Drake translates in system here and essentially plow into an ongoing battle. So... Within the Eben Drake, you've got the Disciples of the Flame, which is the sort of Promethean religious cult that has cropped up around Cassian Dracos once he's been recovered from Istvan V. While he was on Istvan V, you know, his dreadnought casket was kind of stuck in the surface of the planet for a while, and he went a little loopy. He gets prophetic visions now. Like, you know, are they prophetic visions from the Emperor? Is it a server glitch? We may never know. But uh, it simply rolls past, ignoring hails from both loyalists and traitors alike, does not make any effort to engage, its guns are rolled in and completely silent, it just burns its thrusters hot and heavy to shoot basically straight through a formation of transport vessels for the Legio Mortis, which is kind of funny, and dumps off a whole bunch of drop craft before pulling out to the system's edge. And... On Beta Garmin 2, the Loyalists are trying to hold their own, mostly led by this pretty big detachment of Imperial Fists. You've got an Imperial Fist captain named Thal trying to hold against a millennial from the Emperor's Children and, of course, indeterminate number of uh, Alpha Legion legionaries that are pushing back the Loyalist advance. It's actually not going too hot for the Loyalists in Nircon before... The Eben Drake shows up. They're kind of on their last legs, getting pushed back by this combined arms between the Alpha Legion and the Emperor's Children. Fortunately, you've got gunships from the Disciples of the Flame descending from the skies. They're even framed dramatically by the setting sun as they touch down. You know, really appropriate considering their fire fetish. It's pretty great. Dave, what are you thinking about this early intro for the Disciples here? No, I mean, I, I love it. You know, Jason, we talked a little bit about this, and I think 
from the very beginning, this exemplary battle felt like a really good Saturday morning cartoon from when I was yeah. like, you know, yeah, <laughs> six years old, at right. my cereal in front of the TV, I'm eating Frosted Flakes, you know, I'm watching uh, awesome Saturday morning cartoon. And it just was like, this had it. It had all of it. And I love it. Yeah, I feel like the only thing they're missing is like when the Thunderhawk touches down, you just get that like G.I. Joe, like that would have just wrapped it up perfectly. A hundred percent. Yeah, very cliche, I think. Even reading it, there's a little bit of wincing, but then like Dave said, and like you said, Jason, there's very much a nostalgia there for a second. I mean, it's not bad. It's a little bit of corny nostalgia is good every now and again. Keep you on your toes. So, once this gunship touches down, Cassian Dracos thunders on out, you know, big giant ornate artificer wrought dreadnought, and basically pulls the Imperial Fists, like, out of the losing battle of attrition they're fighting here. Starts rampaging through the Alpha Legion, knocking over traitor vehicles. Xiaphus Jur is coming in, directing, you know, his little flamethrower squads to clear out buildings that those nefarious Alpha Legion are holed up in. But here's the thing, though, and this is a very consistent theme for the rest of this battle. The Disciples do not bother to link up with the rest of the Imperial Fists or their uh, Mechanicum allies. In fact, they kind of end up peeling some of the Mechanicum allies, like, away. If you're familiar with Cassian Dracos, you know, he kind of has a thing for uh, pushing uh, Mechanicum around way back from that, you know, Siege of Mezua and whatnot. Because you've also got an Iron Warriors contingent led by the warsmith Narek Draeger. And he is very deep in the Automata as well. What I thought was kind of interesting here... If you guys remember way back the novel Hell's Reach by Aaron Dembski-Bowden, you know, you've got the Black Templar trying to hold a city against a big giant flood of orcs. So what I think was kind of interesting here is it's almost a perfect reverse of what happened there. There was a small contingent of salamanders that, you know, were helpful at first, but immediately... They kind of got into, almost came to blows with the Black Templar when they pushed the orcs back because the Black Templar wanted to chase down the orcs, run them down, destroy them. The salamanders were like, uh, come on, guys, there are a whole bunch of mortals that would just be uh, massacred when the orcs sweep in and around us if we went after them. The Black Templar were annoyed because, like, you know, that's a enemy that's just going to escape and come back to make our lives difficult again later. So it's interesting here that it's almost completely reversed. You know, the salamanders are touching down and helping the battle, but then they plow on zealously ahead, regardless of good tactical sense, while the uh, Imperial Fists, in this case, are left, you know, defending the barricades. thought that was kind of uh, entertaining. Because even despite the uh, Imperial Fist commander, uh, Thal's requests, the disciples just kind of motor on past them and actually pull a number of units of salamanders units who just kind of start ignoring his orders and instead uh you know try and reunite with the former legion master here so they're also taking these maniples of mechanicum automata and basically (laughs) borrowing them without permission from the magos controllers you know as they're firing through the traitor ranks And this kind of whole big conglomeration of vehicles, automata, you've got legionaries, 
up towards somewhere around 1500, are lockstep with the disciples that have rolled through the barricades here and are rolling through over into Nearcon proper. So, guys, what are we thinking, like, tactically here so far? No, I, I think this is absolutely, like, perfect GW, tongue-in-cheek, from, like, the <laughs> 90s. And they go out of their way to, like, describe this scene of utter chaos where Mechanicum overseers are literally chasing after their, like, Castellax <laughs> automata, right? You can almost see the red-hooded cowls, like, flying off as they chase down this battlefield and then of right. course the imperial fist castellan you know exemplar of perfect martial discipline is like repeatedly tried to hail these loyalists on every possible channel gets absolutely no response back except <laughs> i think from the iron warrior who he's just like not even okay with that you know he's just like why is this guy even here and then finally has to call a halt so he doesn't overextend his lines and positions and it's just the imperial fist it's the salt and the wounds for those guys man just because it happens over and over again to them right like at the siege of terra you know jagatai khan and the white scars are like yep no we're gonna we're not no we're not staying on the walls we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna ride out and, and meet our fate and uh you just kind of feel for the imperial fist over and over again um maybe not too much but i mean a little bit yeah it doesn't <laughs> seem like it's just their lot in life to be you know stuck on the walls while everybody else goes out and does something like dudes trying to hold together a offensive against alpha legion and emperor's children and then when cool new dreadnought dad shows up like all of his automata and salamanders just go with him. Hey, hey, don't knock Step Dreadnought. <laughs> He's got the cool toys. Right? He's trying to get everybody on his good it's side. Like, cool like, new Dreadnoughts on. here. We don't have to pay attention to you anymore, old man. <clears throat> and then they just, you know, ignore all of their orders and roll out with Cassian Dracos. As you do. All right, so... Truth be told here, it kind of starts to go downhill for the Disciples of the Flame. It could have something to do with them uh, just rolling past the barricades of, you know, potential allies that have been here for quite some time and striking out on their own. But, uh, yeah, because the Alpha Legion are kicking out a bunch of these elite Ifrit Disruptor Cadre operatives, uh, one of the cool new little units we get with this exemplary battle and the disciples are having a little bit of an issue because the few scouts and outriders they are deploying they're starting to run into issues where their auspex devices are just malfunctioning their communications are severed and then they're just getting gunned down at close range in like ambushes that they are apparently rolling right into because again they've just pushed past their allies and are uh, striking out I'm not sure exactly if they ever define what they are striking out at, except for this industrial mag rail terminus. So Dracos, uh, his forces, you know, kind of split up by these enormous, like, you know, massive magnetic train sheds. They're funneled along the rail lines, and the Alpha Legion are just kind of abusing them for it. It's not going well. Like, they're running into IEDs and explosive ordnance raining down on them from uh, 
artillery that's been pre-ranged. The Alpha Legion are essentially just waiting for them to walk into pre-ranged coordinates, which is not great. You've got them just constantly harrowing, well, appropriate for the Alpha Legion, but uh, constantly harrowing the flanks of this little miniature push. And they kind of try and play it off as like, oh, the Disciples didn't flinch in their purpose because they was made certain by the proclamations and prophecies of their figurehead. But also they're trying to maintain that as, quote, even as their rhinos and land raiders exploded around them. You know, kind of hard to uh, make an argument that uh, everything is going well when all of your transports are exploding around you because you've struck out into territory that you're not familiar with, with no communication, no scouts, and no allies. Yeah, it occurs to me this is really the problem with interpreting prophecies in the middle of a galactic <laughs> war zone. It's not entirely clear to me that Cassian Dracos knows the reason that he's supposed to be there at this time, just that he is supposed to be there at this time, and right. like all will be revealed. But like, as his forces are getting literally shot apart, it's still not clear to him why he's there. And so eventually, I think he has to like do some loss mitigation, right, and start to reconsolidate his forces. But yeah, it's, uh, the whole thing is definitely not going well at this point. Yeah, not at all. So even a uh... Zyphus Jur is one of his, you know, closest supporters. And he even he's and the other officers are starting to tell him, like, uh, we're running out of ammunition. Uh, casualties are pretty crazy. They are down to about 500 of the original 1500 they started out with. And it is now that Cassian Dracos takes decisive action. So he leads his little dwindling contingent here towards the nearest potential escape route, which is this large maintenance entrance above ground. Uh, it kind of gives access to the rest of the train tunnels beneath the city. So that's kind of his plan now, is to try and make for the underground railways and hope, I guess. So the Alpha Legion are kind of just hitting and running at this point, but up until then, they now kind of recognize that Dracos is making this much more determined and concerted effort to push out. So instead of having just this uh, big giant convoy of salamanders conveniently wandering into artillery barrages, now they've kind of got to step it up and work a little for it because there might be a chance that the salamanders can break out now. So, harried by the traitors, the disciples' advance swiftly became a desperate rearguard action, squads instinctively falling back in overlapping patterns, laying down supporting fire as they sought to drive back their attackers and recover their fallen or injured brothers. Now, this does not go perfectly. Some units are finding themselves cut off entirely. The Ifrit disruptor cadres are definitely taking their toll, uh, sniping out officers with nemesis bolters and just absolutely playing Mary Hell with their, uh, you know, Vox networks. It's not great. And it's dark. Like, we all uh, have gotten to understand uh, how rough night fighting is in the second edition of Horus Heresy now. And let me tell you, this exemplary battle exemplifies it. So here's a fun part. The entire time this assault is going on, 
The biggest problem has been an Alpha Legion dreadnought that has seemingly struck out at the Disciples and then retreated into the shadows only to appear like way over across the city, uh, seemingly within minutes. And surprise, as they retreat into the tunnels, Xiaphus Jur is wounded, Narek Draeger is wounded, Cassian Dracos is beat to crap. He has found his nemesis, this Alpha Legion Contemptor Dreadnought is, surprise, actually two Alpha Legion Contemptor Dreadnoughts. Because, you know, the Alpha Legion has a occasional issue with over-theming. But are they both named Alpharis? It depends on the day, really. <laughs> so Cassian Dracos this entire time has been trying to track down the Alpha Legion Contemptor and make a symbolic victory of him defeating it. Now he's kind of backpedaling a little bit because um, while, yes, they're both here at the same time and he definitely feels like he has an earlier failure to atone from, Cassian Dracos is one dreadnought and while he is artificer wrought by Vulcan, this is two Contemptors. Fortunately, though, for some reason, one of the traitor dreadnoughts falls over and allows Cassian Dracos to punch the other one to death before he can get back up. But don't worry, guys. He doesn't have to, because as Cassian Dracos is the last man or sarcophagus out, he punches all of the... Uh, you know, support beams to the ceiling and squishes that other Alpha Legion contemptor. Heroic music plays in the background. Cassian Dracos doesn't look at the explosion as he walks away from it. Sweet music plays. There's probably a guitar riff. It's amazing, you guys. It's terrific. It was at that exact moment that I was like, what did I just read? This cartoon. <laughs> I was like, wait a second what the heck did I just read? And it was like that once I had gotten over the shock of what had just happened, I was like, that was actually pretty awesome. That was like 100%, you know, what I wanted for my Saturday morning cup of coffee. But right. it was like weird though. It was like the author, like he had run out of word count. He was like not allowed to write anymore. And so he was like, like I did <laughs> I wanted the whole, like, da 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 to be continued next episode, right? Because, like, yeah. we don't even know what happened. Yeah, like, we don't know who the Alpha Legion contemptors were. Correct me if I'm wrong, but did they ever explain why Cassian Dracos felt he really had to get to, like, that train no. yard? No. Yeah, I couldn't remember them either. It really seems like they touched down roll past the imperial fists like i don't know stealing their lunch money as they go and for an undetermined reason that train yard they hang out there for a bit and then they're like whoops this isn't working better go back i don't Listen, understand step dread has really cool trains <laughs> he wants to go play with them with you just go hang out with step dread that's what's yeah, happening that's about as much as i could get i'm I was confused. I mean, I think Dave's right. I think it's an amazing Saturday morning cartoon, but I'm not sure what uh, what we were doing here. Yeah, not like, you know, this doesn't, not that all the exemplar battles like progress the plot in any way, shape or form. They're kind of their own little vignettes. Yeah. 
But I feel like this one kind of just leaves us at like, there's no little teaser, right? you know, like the last two we covered at the end were like, for instance, the thousand suns get off planet with thousands of data looms of, of forgotten lore and knowledge. Where are they right. now? That's just- this is just like, yeah, Draco starts walking back towards one of the undamaged supports and like breaks it up, kills everybody. Peace out. Like, but not even peace out. Like he's stuck in a tunnel at the bottom of Nearcon City. Like it's not a good place to be, bro. I mean, you know, it's familiar for him at least. <laughs> true. True. It's true. He's just going. He's going <laughs> home. Yeah, I don't know. So at this point, I think it's probably apropos to, to say that if you read the Warcom article that Andy Hoare wrote. This is the penultimate or the second to last exemplar battle report that we're going to get, at least in the near term. They did say that it had been a popular sort of vignette or series, but at least in the near term, there's probably going to be only one more coming out and then they may return to it. So maybe we get part two of the Battle of Nearcon, or maybe not. We don't know. Maybe we have to wait until the next top secret project comes out and ties it all together. I'm kind of curious. They seem to have a thing for uh, leaving famous dreadnoughts like hanging out under rubble. Because that's the same thing they did for Rylanor. Rylanor's was a lot cooler, but... Yeah, I do see the theme now. You're absolutely right. If you're a dreadnought, you know, your fate is probably to get buried on some distant battlefield under a lot of rock. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. It does seem to happen with alarming frequency. <laughs> yeah. It it seems like the GW trope. Eh, let's just put him under a rock. No big deal. He's not going anywhere. Somebody important will find him. It'll be yeah. fine. It'll be fine. But are we all in agreement that Draco's or Draco is just essentially going insane? And that's what his visions are? Because let's be honest, we've all read novels that have dreadnoughts whether or not you know they're put into a contemptor armor or whatever and you know describing the awakening of a dreadnought is like waking up a a madman stuck in a tank yeah they're not particularly stable to begin with are they no not at all i imagine that's kind of the deal with dracos too because like yeah he could be interpreting visions but i mean how many times in the mythos has somebody been positive they were interpreting visions of the emperor only to realize later that something was horribly taking advantage of them a little too often especially considering at least within the horus heresy we don't have the full like we have an understanding of the warp and we have some understanding of chaos, but we don't have the full understanding of chaos until really like it really gets fleshed out in the Siege of Terra books of like, oh, this God is this. This God is right. that. Whereas I feel like it's not fleshed out until we actually get into Terra. Yeah, it's like um, a little more nebulous right now. Yeah, that, that, I think that's the best way to describe it. Yeah, that is why the team described the original Demons of the Ruin Storm as having their very adaptable, malleable, you can switch all of their different attributes around a whole bunch because there is not the same stamped, formulated idea of the four major powers. It's much more malleable and nebulous at that point. Right. All right, well, while we're here, uh, any, any lasting thoughts on this one, guys? 
I think I appreciate it for what it is, and I think it's <laughs> it's uh, it's a good throwback. I think to like you know the white dwarfs that I grew up reading and loving, and mm-hmm. a little part of that GW mm-hmm. you know lineage is is seemed to like have come back and like I don't know that I'd want everyone to read like that, but I thought it was fun. I thought it was good. Yeah, it's like yeah. a little miniature battle for the abyss. Yeah, for that novel. Yeah, it was silly, but it was a good Saturday morning cartoon. It almost reminds me of remember, didn't they? Wasn't it? It was a early, early model of an Inquisitor that was like called Inquisitor Kenobi or something like that. Be, or, Inquisitor, or, yeah. what was it? Obi Wan Sherlock Clouseau. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's it's kind of that that sort of farcical <laughs> that vibe, like writing kind of feel to it but yeah no i mean it's a fun romp in the galaxy somewhere Heck, you know? yeah <laughs> all righty guys so i guess that takes us to the end of the episode so let's uh go ahead and do some plugs dave you want to start us off yeah <laughs> yes, yes i do no i don't really have any plugs i think i appreciate the guys at forge world and specialist games for continuing to kind of give us something to sink our teeth into while we wait for whatever the next big thing is. And I think it's going to be awesome. And I think we're all really, really excited for a return to some new lore that comes out through the heresy channels. Yeah, definitely, definitely hoping for another black book, maybe something something like that. that, But Yeah. yeah, Jason, you got anything? No, I am in the clear and good to go. All righty. Well, uh, want to give a shout out to, of course, all of our listeners and a special shout out to all our patrons. Thank you guys so much, both listeners and patrons. Without you guys, this wouldn't be possible. But other than that, bye, guys. <laughs>